So what would a city of angels actually be like? Imagine you were going somewhere where you could trust everybody. What kind of society could we build out of that? We're going on a journey this episode to take the technicalities of what we know about the mindset of an angel, how they think, what they value, and vision cast a bit. How would it be if everyone on the road was an angel? If everyone you walked by on the sidewalk was an angel? If our culture centered around angelic values? And can we start implementing those values right now? Let's take a trip to the City of Angels to find out. So we're on our way, but first, while we're in the area, let's do a little spiritual tourism. Okay, so we're out on the beach, and it's awesome. The, the waves are rolling in, you can smell the ocean. Here you are really getting the dual correspondence of water. If you look out there, there's like this gorgeous ocean, and it looks friendly and looks inviting. And then right behind me, that same water moved into the rocks. It's just so, I don't even know if you can see it in the contrast, but it's so menacing. You can hear the waves like crashing up against it and reverberating through this little cave. And you just think like that is the last place in the world that I want to be is in there. So I, to me, it seems like really drives home. It's like, okay, water is truth or water is falsity. Like it could be somewhere where you can bob out free and happy, or you can be trapped underneath and you're in serious danger of drowning. So I'm feeling both right here. Not that the cave isn't cool, not that, you know, the cave isn't, evil it just is showing us a picture of something you know there's definitely such something so poetic and story like about this juxtaposition that i like the idea that yeah this is showing us this is teaching us something about the human condition and the potential of sort of the dark and light of the psyche so no offense case so we're trying to figure out what it's like to put these angelic principles into action. First, we're stopping by the Garden Church in San Pedro. This is literally a garden and a culture that's based on the principles in Swedenborg's material. What's it like when those shape a space on earth? So I'm here with Jonathan Mitchell, Reverend Jonathan Mitchell, co-pastor of the Garden Church. Well, it is uh, the Garden Church and, and, and Feed and Be Dead Farm. It was founded by Reverend Anna Wiffenden, who um, went through the seminary part of the vision of starting a, a new kind of church, a new way of um, being church together. And we understand ourselves as, you know, bringing in anybody who walks into this space and, and wants to uh, make church with us is welcome to make church with us. This is one of our star plants. It uh, just grew from this tiny little seedling. For me, it symbolizes the New Jerusalem. It's in bloom 12 months of the year. More, more often than, than saying Swedenborg, I, I talk about the New Jerusalem and, and the vision of the descent of the New Jerusalem. Um, it's for the 12 months years and leaves for the healing of the nations. And for me, it's um, symbolizing um, people our kind of interfaith commitment, people from all different religions and, and traditions coming together to, you know, we explore the depths of each other's traditions and, and, and learn from each other. Uh, the Swedenborgian principle of um, spiritual freedom is very important to me. You know, people come in and, and out of their own freedom, they, they participate in as much or as little or which component parts of our, our program that appeal to them. You have people that come just for worship, 
We have people that come here on Sunday or other times in the week just to garden. Uh, we have people that come here on, on the community meal just because they're hungry and they want something to eat and, and, and there's no pressure to take part in the other parts of our, our, our program. Everyone is here. This is part of our extended language. Everyone is here to be feed and be fed. And, and, and we take feed and be fed, both parts of that seriously, I mean, as a general spiritual principle. If I'm feeding others, you know, whether it's feeding food or whether, you know, giving a person a, a compassionate ear and, 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 and listening, um, as I'm feeding people physically and, and, and spiritually, I'm being fed uh, uh, as well. And I think anyone that's experienced a useful service can tell you um, there's no satisfaction as deep or as powerful as knowing that you're helping, even in a small way, even for 10 minutes, making someone's life less lonely and, and less desperate than, than, than it was before. We bought organic soil and we mixed it more or less 50-50 with um, compost okay. that, that we uh, make ourselves. And Reverend Anna Wiffenden, who is the founding pastor, has a lot to say about the spirituality and correspondences of composting, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what, what was alive and, and seems to die is actually full of life. Some of these correspondences are so obvious. I mean, you don't even have to use the word correspondence, right? People get it. <laughs> People get, you know, the, the, symbol, the symbolism of it and, and, and the meaning of it, you know, for, for our, our lives. I, I mean, we're, we're nurturing life, you know, and, and, and nurturing life at the external level is nurturing life inwardly. One principle that, that people get, uh, even if you don't, say it in an overtly Swedenborgian terms, uh, you know, being physically alive, biologically alive, it's also spiritually alive for us, right? And, and, and um, promoting and encouraging life at, at, the, at the level of even the dirt. Um, it, the dirt is alive, you know, we're spiritually alive uh, uh, as well. And, um, you know, welcoming everybody into water the plants or help us plant or help us harvest, uh, you know, you're building community. Um, a lot of pastoral care goes with our lead gardener just um, talking to people as they're, you know, putting in the plants or pulling the weeds. Uh, you know, it's a, a place where people come to feel safe. Right in this spot, we are going to be having a Swedenborg party. We're going to have people who have been uh, interested in Swedenborg stuff, watching off the left eye from around Los Angeles, and then hopefully farther, to come here and, and imagine like what could a city of angels be like and, and think through the whole thing. And why here though? Well, dude, this is a national monument to Emanuel Swedenborg, the Wayfarer's Chapel built by Lloyd Wright. Uh, inspired by Swedenborg's legacy and ideas and also gives you this like bam bam one-two punch of correspondence. It's just this gorgeous setting. Lift the mind up and hopefully we can get some really cool conversation in there and uh, let that divine light in. people showing up which is really great um, we've had people are from Switzerland um, people are from 
Pennsylvania, everywhere in between. So pretty good range and it's cool that just right away hear about people who are talking about how the channel helped them and what it did for them and makes it real. And we see the numbers on, on the internet, but this makes it like, oh yeah, that's who's behind that screen. That's fun. So yeah, so, so look at this. We got ourselves an awesome original print of a piece of art surrounding Swedenborg. Tell me a little bit about how this came to be. Yes, my name's Trace and uh, I just fascinated with all Swedenborg's writings, particularly his writings on monetary science. So when he was working on fixing some of the exchange rate system there in Sweden with the copper and the exchange rates. And so, you know, in the painting, you'll notice different features. Like I have the money right here and that, that obviously references to the, the sand store, you know, where people like saw they were living in their delusion. Right. Uh, but it, for me, it also represents like the money. So, you know, with Swedenborg, his writings are so multi-layered and multi-faceted and you really have to make them your own. Like he's a witness of the spiritual world and then you become that second witness with, through your own experience. And so we got the moon and the moonlets. We got Father Adam up in the sun, like reaching down into the people. This is juxtaposed with like the demons down in hell. You'll notice even like the colors are, are juxtaposed, the struggle and mortality and time and like the ladder into heaven and his writings and the angels and the writings there. And so it was really difficult to like distill down Swedenborg into into this, right? Because yeah. I don't think a portrait of him like does him justice. He's so right. much more complicated. Uh, and so that's what we really tried to do is, you know, we went, you know, I come through a lot of his writings. And so with the painter, uh, you know, he, and the painter actually ended up watching about 60 of your videos on yes. off the left eye to try <laughs> and like figure out what this, how we would represent this stuff. And then his whole family started watching it. No way. Here, oh yeah, and it's helped his daughter a ton. Oh, uh, she struggled cool. with like anxiety and depression right. and stuff like that. And like, and just helping understand that there's a spiritual world and like her thoughts aren't her thoughts necessarily. Right. You know, it's like, there's the first thought, but really what matters is our second thought and the first action. I remember that from one of the shows. And like, and his writings just really help with a lot of that. You know, help people understand like what's really going on like inside of here. So that's what we tried to represent like in the painting. You get paintings of Swedenborg, but not this is not just Swedenborg. This is the concepts. This is like what the whole thing really represents. So uh, much appreciated that you gave us this uh, print, and uh, look forward to like you you know making it part of the iconography around the whole thing. Right. I want to begin by asking the question, what would a city of angels be like? I'm going to give you a little trivia here that you probably didn't know. Los Angeles, translated into English, I think is the city of angels. So, little known fact. Okay, everybody knows that. But that got me thinking. Um, what would it be like to actually be in a place where everybody was in this angelic mindset? And that really piggybacks off this other question, which is, what's the point? Which, by which I mean, what's the point of stuff like this? What's the point of spirituality kind of stuff? Like for me, obviously, like I'm a wee, wee bit of a fan of Emanuel Swedenborg, but there's like two sides to it. There is this structure to reality, which is interesting, and oh, this might work like this. I could see, oh, that's elegant, that could make sense. But the reason that it's a passion for me, and the reason that I keep coming back to it, I'm interested in putting my reputation at risk with my friends from high school by talking about a weird Swedenborg guy on, online, thinking, what's the point? Why gather around spirituality stuff? And for me, it's spirituality is the promise that life can be better. 
And it's, that's the point. The reason you pursue it is that this can make life better and um, it can make life better and make life better particularly in ways it makes things non, non-negotiable. Because there were parts of life that I just felt like this, is, this, this could never be better. I could get that we could design a faster airplane, right? I get that you could... Oh, what do people do with technology? You can know where, wherever you are in the world in the palm of your hands and have Wikipedia, but there's certain things that it seems like, okay, this, you could never get inside this part of consciousness and alleviate some of this pain or this fear or this anxiety. But with spirituality, I feel like that stuff is suddenly in play. And the stuff that I find in Swedenborg has done that for me in these amazing little flashes where I feel like this, this thing that I never thought could get better actually did get better. So that's why I'm passionate to share. And I thought we could look into how that's possible and do it through the mechanism of angels today. Because what I like about angels, well, I had to have a talk that related to where we are. So that's where it started. But then I was thinking, um, what Swedenborg gives that is to me really potent is not just, okay, I'm reporting some kind of spiritual experience where you encounter angels and here's what they are like and here's how they act, but also how they think. And that angel is actually a trajectory that we can be on. That this is a state of mind that you can get towards. And it's not like a, the stepping stones or this, this mystical stuff that you could never... It's tangible. Like, oh, here's the difference between what the angelic mindset is and how I think every day. And I can see some of the steps that get there. So I want to use this time a little bit to inspire us to see what would the impact be if we were really all working to get along that path, you know, to, to go try to push away what's evil and false and get towards what's good and true. So I want to give you an example um, that has to do with me and travel. Because like I'm, I'm, I get anxious fairly easily and travel is actually stressful for me because of logistics and things like that. And I had to go on a trip to, to get here. You know, um, and I want to talk you through how it is for me normally, and let's see if we can't improve on that. So there's a picture of an airport there. I had to go through two airports to get here. There was a Philadelphia International and then LAX. And the airport is amazingly great for being stressed out because you don't even know when you're supposed to get to the airport. Like, I can know my flight is at 11. When do you get there? I don't know, because you don't know what you're going into. It could, you can show up, and all of a sudden there's a really long line that's there because of the airport, but you didn't know it was going to be there. And if you don't get through it, your plane will leave. It will leave you there at the airport. And so, of course, I'm stressing about that, and I always end up getting to the airport like four hours before my plane needs to go, and it's, so I'm just sitting there. But then, when you're there, like, oh, let's say I get on the airplane, who am I going to sit next to? And I'll be going to get mad if I have to get up to go to the bathroom more than once during the flight, right? Or are they gonna, and is there anybody, I'm in this huge space, and does anybody actually care about helping to facilitate my journey? I was once, I had a layover, and it, our plane was get late, you know, and the captain, when we were landing, said, this is hilarious, the captain said, okay, we're, we're, we're a little bit late, so if there's a connecting flight, if anybody, is not on this connecting flight, just stay in your seats and we'll let the people who have the connecting flight get up and go, you know? And so I was like, oh, that's so nice of him. This is so awesome because I had like 15 minutes to get, I think it was at Dallas airport, get all the way across. So this is great. And I was like in the middle of the plane and some people started getting up in the front and I was like, okay, they have the same flight as me. You go get them. And then more people started getting up and I was like, 
wow, a lot of people on my flight. Every single person in front of me got up. They're like, and maybe they all had the same connecting flight, although I didn't see them on that flight. Um, who cares about you? We're just going to go. And so, oh, all right. So the airport is stressful. Okay, but I made it through these two airports, and then we get out of the airport, and it's fine because you just get to get right out into traffic. So right from the airport. And, and road traffic is maybe more stressful to me because cars, it's a dangerous thing to do. Go driving, and you don't know who you're going to encounter on the road. We were, we were driving on this road, getting here. This is, this is actually true. Uh, it, w- it was like a 40-mile-an-hour 40, 40 road, and this person just like 95 miles an hour, weaving in and out. And we were turning right, and if we had just decided to turn right, that would have been it. I w- you would have been like, having not I seen someone else do this talk right here? We have people that are honking at you from behind. You don't know if somebody's going to road rage at you. Or if you're trying to merge other people who are watching you, trying to merge, and like, nope, I'm going to stay right in your spot. You don't know who, or, or just, are there going to be too many people in my way and I'm going to be late to Wayfarer's Chapel? We rolled in here pretty on time, you know. Um, so you don't know what you're going to encounter. So it's stressful, right? It's stressful. So, okay, we stopped at the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame on the way here. You know, that's just something that, that you do when you're in Los Angeles. Um, and I was looking at those stars. Do you guys know what that is? That's where they have the stars in the, in the road. If you're a movie star, you can get a star there. I didn't actually go there. This is an example for this thing. And... And um, I had mixed feelings looking out at these stars because I was like a little bit jealous of those stars because I was like, how come uh, you, you, what this represents, you're like this really amazing person, you're super rich and everybody wants to celebrate you and I'm just like sitting around and I'm nobody, you know? So I was like feeling a little bit jealous of that. But then on the flip side, I was like, some of these people are not don't seem like they're that great of people. I mean, there have been some stories on the news and sort of thing, and like, why do we have a star for them? So that was stressed out and a little ego-driven there and stuff. I sound like a pretty cool person, right? Um, so that was, that was that. And then finally I got here to Wayfarer's Chapel, and I was like, oh, this looks awesome. This is actually looks, looks more beautiful in here than it does in pictures, and it's great, but I have a speech that I have to give on Sunday. And I don't know how that's going to go. Am I going to embarrass myself? And I don't know. I can't tell right now if I am or not. But I, so I was nervous and stressed about that because I don't know these people. I don't know if they're going to like what I have to say. So that was my, that's my journey. And to me, I would just think, that's just how it's going to be. I mean, things have turned out okay so far. We'll see at the end of this talk. But there's so many unknowns. How are you ever going to change that, right? How am I ever going to get it? And to me, it would just seem like that's non-negotiable. That's just going to be a suffering part of life. But... Let's imagine now my journey, if I was actually coming, and Los Angeles is great, it's been awesome so far, but let's say I was actually coming to literally a city where everyone who was there was an angel, as described by Swedenborg. And what would this do in each of these situations? So let's peer a little bit into the mind of an angel and how it would affect each part of that. If you can't read that on the screen, that's all right, I'll read it for you. So this is from, this is when we start to do my favorite thing, which is read quotes from Swedenborg. Uh, we're starting in Secrets of Heaven, 1680. It says, If we have good intentions toward our neighbors, though, think only good thoughts about them, and actually do them good when we can, we are associating with angelic spirits and become angels ourselves in the other life. So, what do we got there? Good intentions toward our neighbors, thinking only good thoughts about them. Can you imagine, this is the airport, if you were walking in that airport and knew everybody that you're walking by, everybody that's working there, is thinking only good thoughts about you, 
and having only good intentions. And even when I, when I just picture that for a second, I get this like expansive feeling in my chest. And what really drove it home for me is this. The times when I have been late to airplanes and I need to run to get to those airplanes, I'm embarrassed to run to them. You guys get that at all? Because I don't want people to be like, what's up with this guy? Can't make his plane? Like, I'm just embarrassed about that. Even, like, I sometimes imagine, like, if I had some public emergency, and I'm like, I'd be embarrassed to, to yell for help. You know, like, that's how much, to me, it's like, ah, what kind of thoughts are people thinking about me? Imagine me knowing that if I can just look like a fool and be booking it, and everybody there is just thinking, like, oh, I hope he makes his flight. Man, is there a way we can facilitate this? Maybe even the people on the plane are like, yeah, we'll wait two minutes for you, something like that. How would that change the airport experience, right? All, all along the line, knowing good thoughts and good feelings. Okay. So next, Swedenborg writes in Heaven and Hell 403, angelic life consists of worthwhile, thoughtful actions, actions that are useful to others. And not just angels like to do this stuff, that's the core of life. This is like what is driving your motor, is the, the opportunity and the ability to do these thoughtful, worthwhile actions. So let's imagine... You're in traffic, and all the pe- you know, every single person in all those cars is interested in doing worthwhile, thoughtful actions, right? So the speed at which they go, the distance behind you that they stay, what they do when you're emergent, that they, that they are thriving off of. How would that feel to be on the road knowing we're all on the same team? And a lot of times you are, but you just don't know. We're all on the same team, and we're all trying to work this together. Then... Okay, I could, do, I could do a traffic jam in that. That's no problem. Then this next, one, this next quote is like really ambiguous as to what it's referring to, but I pulled it out anyway, and I'll talk you through it, and it'll be okay. This is Heaven and Hell 393. This is talking about angels and how are angels... Uh, the interesting thing is, so Swedenborg describes... You probably are all basically familiar with this if you're coming to this event, but Swedenborg is famous for you know, being this you know, pretty high-end scientific genius who was then saying, well, guess what? I, I started having these experiences where my, my, the spiritual component to me is able to be conscious, and I can kind of get like a little traveler's notes on what the, what the life to come is like. Right? And he's saying that there is actually not as different from here as you might think. That, there, that it's not just like everybody floats around all day, that there are organizations and that there are even roles and things and jobs that people do, but there's a difference. That there he's saying, in, and this is the quote, in proportion to their love and eagerness for service, these angels are enlightened and are in the light of wisdom. They perform these duties, whatever they do, in the place or on the level appropriate to their discernment. So how smart you are, that, in what way dictates you know, where you're going to work, which is in turn equivalent to their love of service in the common good. So what that's saying is, you, are you ambitious? You know, you want to go somewhere in heaven? The more you love serving others, that's the, the, the more and more... Um, responsibility can be given to you because you, they'll know you use it well. So you think about those stars on the Hollywood Walk. If we were in a city of angels, every one of those, you know when somebody, you probably know people like this, but somebody is really genuinely humble and they're not about ego, but they really care about doing something good. How do you feel when something good happens to a, a person like that? You're, You're like, go get them. Yes, it couldn't happen to a better person. You, know, you don't feel threatened by them. You, don't, you just feel like, 
this is awesome. Imagine like you've got this star walk there and you're like, man, what they did is so awesome. What they did is so, you just genuinely feel like this is great that that's there. And then with Wayfarer's Chapel, what if, uh, and I don't, you may well all be since, you know, angel is a state of mind, but if, if I knew I was coming in to give a talk to a bunch of angels, okay, what, 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 I would be like, well, they're not going to throw stuff at me, right? And if they do, they're going to be friendly, but if they do have critiques, I know that I want to hear them because this is coming from love and wisdom. It would change the way, and just knowing that, that they're just interested in what's the common good, how can we learn from something, how can we grow, it would feel totally different. So there is my journey in angel mode. So, but you may be saying to yourself at this time, well, okay, so we've got to change the whole world just to fix Curtis's problems, right? So can we take it one step further? What if instead of, what if the whole city was angels, what if I was an angel taking the journey that I took? You ready? We're just going to go around one more quick time. But what if, what if everyone else is normal, but I'm an angel? What, what difference does that make here? So... This is Secrets of Heaven 8455. It's one of my favorite numbers. Peace. Doesn't everybody have favorite Swedenborg numbers? Isn't that a thing we do? In high school, the coolest kids have the coolest Swedenborg numbers. Um, Peace has in it confidence in the Lord, that he directs all things and provides all things, and that he leads to a good end. So feel that, which is one, like, it just sounds like a statement when I'm saying it, but if you get the idea behind the statement, it's the best idea that's out there. I mean, it's just like the, the problems it solves. It, all this chaos, you know, all of this suffering, all this stuff we go through, that there is something that's carefully taking care of that and moving it to where it needs to go. Now apply that to the airport. If I'm, if I'm really believing that, if I'm believing that Providence is running things, I don't, I don't care which airplane I get on. Because there's no such thing as, oops, I missed something, something went wrong, I'm on the wrong flight, I've missed this, oh no, I needed the transfer money. Knowing that there's, there's divine providence saying, like, this is going to be better. Because I don't know. I don't know what experiences I'm going to have on the next plane. I don't know whether, what things I'm going to avoid on the next plane. How would I know? Look back at your life. Did you ever know what was going on? <laughs> I mean, so there, it's not like you're not trying. It's not like I'm not moving, but the worry is, no, there's not worry because what's going to happen is Devon Province is going to use me and use everybody else to get to the right spot. And how do I know that I'm not meant to be on the next plane because the person next to me is going to need conversation or something? Suddenly, it's no longer fear-based. You know, it's love-based. That's the shift. It's there. So this is then, uh, if we talk about heavenly goodness. So the more, this is the next angel tidbit, the more heavenly goodness an angel gives to another, so heavenly goodness is a Swedenborg sort of the more nice things an angel does to another from the affection of kindness, the more flows into that angel from the goodness of heaven, that is from the Lord. So by giving to one that asks, an angel is not deprived of goods, but is enriched with them. Um, if you guys ever heard that song, Love is something if you give it away, give it away. Is that a real song? Okay, some people have. I, not everyone was nodding their head, so now I'm not sure. But there is a song that's like that. It's a kid's song. And at one point it says, Love is like a magic penny. Hold it tight and you won't have any. Lend it, spend it, you'll have so many they'll roll all over the floor. And somebody was critiquing that, those lyrics. Um, maybe it was even Matt who's around here. But they were saying like, 
the, 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 you're just using magic as, magic as a blanket term. Pennies don't work that way. It's just like a filler concept. Nothing actually works like that. You give more away and then it comes back. You're just using magic as a filler word there. But for angels, love is like a magic penny. Because the more they're giving things, the more they're using this, they actually feel more and more fulfilled. So to do nice things for somebody is not like, okay, I'll give a little of myself. This is the motor. This is my hobby. This is the thing I love. This is my passion. Okay, so let's say I was out in traffic, and, what, and the thing that I love, like what's a really good day for me is the opportunity to do nice things for people. Okay, you want to merge? Of course, I'm going to let you merge. You, I, I need to forgive you for yelling at me on the way by. I'm going to do that kind of stuff. And, and what would be happening in me there if each one of those interactions is getting me more and more happy to be part of the human race? Okay, let's say I'm late. Which is better? To be stressed and angry and miserable and get there on time? Or to just see this, even the highway, it's, not, it's no longer, this is my transition period, I have to get through here to get to my life. This is my life. Wherever there's an opportunity to do something loving or a service, that's the highest good, so I'll do it there. So suddenly, I don't mind. You know, give me the 405, give me whatever, I'll do it, right? So, and finally, this is from Swedenborg's book, Last Judgment. Loving the neighbor uh, is not loving the roles people play but the inner source of the person, the good and the true. So if we think back to the Hollywood stars, and when I came here and I was all like, well, why are they better than me? Why are they better than me? If you're just thinking about the good and, and the truth that somebody does, there's not the same ego competition. It's just knowing, okay, Providence is using that person to do something in the world, and I could be glad for the impact they have on other people. So I could go there and just, and, but, but at the same time, like you respect the position, but you're not in awe of any person. It's really about the goodness and truth that comes through all people. God, divine providence raises people up, puts people where they need to go. Just know it's all moving to the end. And then actually, finally, this is divine love and wisdom 47. Feeling the joy of someone else's joy within ourselves, that's loving. So if I was coming and going to give a talk to all of you and I was an angel, the, whether or not I give a good speech and you guys like it, or if you feel like I drove all the way and this was not as good as I wanted, it's not about my ego. It's about what percentage of the people in this room am I? Like one to 70 or something like that? So if I can do anything that's of use to any of you, or even not this, if the next part is useful to you, or the part out there, or something in your day, then it's good. If all I'm trying to do is think, how do I give something of value and I'm not, my, my whole happiness doesn't rest on my own self-image, there's freedom in that. That's the only thing that makes things like public speaking or anything agonizing in the first place is because you're worried about, are people going to like me? Are people not going to like me? But this instead is, instead of focusing on that, it's like, how can I love people? I get, all this is to show the potential. I experience tiny slices of these states every once in a while. I can't turn it off and on like a switch, although I'm trying to work on that all the time. But just a little bit I've seen has made me realize. And I forget. You always forget, right? And it's like, oh, I just go, let me just try to do it the way I used to do it. And then, then when I'm finally miserable enough, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's another world out here. So I just wanted to hopefully leave us with a little inspiration that the little bit of work we each do to get to our little slivers, you think about where we're headed and what it could be like if we were all putting in that work and we're all living in that mindset. And that love is not just to make you happier, but it, every, how comfortable everyone else can be happy. Think if you could drive anywhere and any exit you took on any road, you'd park in any town and you know, like, these people got my back 
these people are my friends, oh, that feels good. So I appreciate you guys being willing to look at that vision with me and, and best of luck on your uh, angel journeys. Thanks. Everything went good in there. I'm having a lot of fun uh, getting to meet people and hear about the story, how they found the show and what it means to them. And so, so far so good. Yeah, I've been a seeker my whole life and a student of near-death experience. And I've always been fascinated with origins of pretty much everything. So it's a little esoteric maybe, but it's, um, it's been my interest. In fact, it goes back to my uh, father's uh, near-death experience which he had in the 1950s, before the uh, term was even coined by Raymond Moody. I was, we were living in Boise and in this, in this old house and my parents, um, my older brother and sister, my twin brother were out having a barbecue and my brother, my twin was always getting in trouble because he didn't do his chores. So I, had, I ran in to go to the bathroom. I was the only one in this house was kind of big and it was kind of spooky. It was just an old house. I ran in there. I was running back out and I saw that he didn't make his bed. So I went back and I said, I'm going to make the bed for him so my mom doesn't yell at him this time. And because he was kind of mischievous. And so I ran back in and I was making the bed, his bed, and I heard a voice. And the weird thing is it wasn't a man's voice and it wasn't a woman's voice. It was just a voice, a very warm, inviting. I wasn't afraid. And this voice said, keep doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. Do this kind of thing the rest of your life. And you're doing the right thing. I went, I looked around, I'm like, who is it? I, first I thought, because my brothers would play tricks on me, but no one was in the house, no one was around. So I go, oh, well, okay. And so I finished making the bed and I ran back out and I didn't tell anybody. And then a couple days later I said, yeah, that was weird. I need to tell my mom. And my mom was very open-minded. And I told my mom, I said, mom, here's what happened. Do you believe me? And she said, oh, well, that was your guardian angel telling you you were doing the right thing. And she was just stay on that track the rest of your life. Uh, it was December 2014 when I, uh, kind of my life just turned upside down. Or in reverse or however you look at it, everything I knew about myself and about the world and the universe and I'm everything it just collapsed and I did a YouTube search on near-death experiences and somehow or other your um, off the left eye came up and I'm like this is really neat I went into a deep meditation process and stuff until I started sharing all these experiences with a friend of mine and he said oh you gotta go to the to the to the Wayfarers Chapel well I came across I learned from here the Wayfarers Chapel I saw the name on there Swedenborg and I thought oh I wanted to know more about Emanuel Swedenborg so I looked it up and googled and found out found about your program so I started watching your videos and like wow I can connect to these people it, it's it sounds like if they're accepting of all faiths and it's not even so much about a theology it's about his life and his you know his visions basically but what really inspires me about Emanuel Swedenborg I'm very impressed and inspired by scientists great scientists of science Emanuel Swedenborg uh, Sir Isaac Newton uh, well, this story about Leonardo da Vinci, I'll tell you in a minute. But um, who also have, who are Christians and who had, had faith in God. They weren't like today, many scientists are atheists and agnostics and so forth. But they were motivated to, in science, to find out about God's creation. That's what their 
impetus was to study it, to learn more. I just started reading Heaven and Hell. I'm like, well, this makes total sense. So everything he said years, 250 years ago, is relevant today. And we're just, as the police, the group in the 80s said, we are spirits in the material world. That's all we are, we're just passing through. I think a redefinition or re-understanding or a clear understanding of what love really is, is what comes loud and clear through Swedenborg. Uh, it refers to love and wisdom, and wisdom is the application of love. And, you know, when you put love to work, to useful work, that's wisdom. And it, if, if you look back in a, just the biblical sense of, you know, faith without works is dead, um, you put it to application, you've got to bring it forward. It's just knowing that this is all temporary. I mean, eventually we will leave this world, we'll pass on to the next. And everything that he said that was relevant then is relevant today. So I, I want to encourage people to read and watch the videos. Even if you only have time to watch the shorter videos, you're going to get something out of it. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to enable us to continue creating high quality programming. This season, we're featuring the opportunity to become a member of our community of sustaining supporters by signing up to give a monthly donation. If you've benefited from our content, please consider going to otlemonthly.cosbox.com to join the central network of people in the world who make our work possible. Our sustaining supporters are the backbone of what we do at Off the Left Eye. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every week around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins.